one in the Alpha Quadrant. This is the Omega Directive, Episode 2, Family Matters. It's remarkable. I can see in your face all the people I've loved in my lifetime. Your mother, my father and mother, our family. I can see me in you too. And I can feel that you're my son. I don't know how to describe it, but there's this connection, this bond I'll always be a part of you, Wesley. <laughs> well, I hope this makes some sense to you. I'm not sure that it does to me, but maybe I'll do better next time. I love you, Wesley. Okay, hi. Welcome. Hello there. Welcome to the Omega Directive. I'm your host, Steve Atwell. And with me tonight is an author. She's written several books, including the Dead Hearts series and the Realms of Magic. And a special interest to listeners, way back yonder, some few years ago, she wrote, she co-wrote the original treatment for what became the classic TNG episode, Family. And, she's, right. and she is a woman who once called me a badass Klingon. So, okay. you still are! Please welcome to the show the one, the only... Suzanne Lambden. Suzanne, glad glad you glad you're here. Thank you for doing this. I My hope pleasure. I understand your um, allergies. I hope you have a box of tissues near at hand. I do. I'm ready to go. Okay. Well, let's start. Let's talk. Tell us a bit about your background. Whereabouts did you grow up? So I am. I'm from Wichita, Kansas, and uh, grew up here. Went to went to Oklahoma University. Went to college, and you know it's funny. Back then, I used to write Star Trek fiction. In the early 1980s, before there was uh, fan fiction, and I, I remember I was uh, went to, it was a KD, Kappa Delta in the sorority, and I, and I didn't like sorority life. But I, for my first semester, I lived in the president's room, and I covered those damn walls with posters of Captain Kirk. I was madly in love with him and wrote I don't even know how many volumes of stories about Star Trek way back when. And so have been, just you know, big Star Trek fan. Well, hell, I was alive when the show first originally aired, so wow. always been a big fan. But after I graduated, and I graduated in the, uh, in the not into the journalism department under professional writing, so I always wanted to be a writer. Right. And then after that, ended up coming back to Kansas. And when our newspaper came across my desk one day, and I saw Star Trek: Next Generation, Pat Stewart as Captain Picard, I thought, you know what? I was bail up at criminal court, and I thought, I'm done with this. I sold my horses, moved out to Los Angeles. And that's where the saga begins. Wow. So what kind of kid were you like? Shall I continue? Well, what kind of kid were you like? You want to know how I got on Paramount Lot and wrote for Star Trek? I'll get to that. What now? I want to know what your, All early, right. your early childhood growing up. Did you have a big so family? So what did you ask me? Your family. Did you have a big family? Childhood. Um, God, you know, it, it was. It's a slow. It's a dwindling family. Yeah. So my uh, dad and sister are attorneys. And, uh. I, unfortunately, I just lost my mother this year. Oh, I'm sorry. Starting off the year that way. So it's been a really stressful year. I had to back out of two cons and died. I came down with the flu for two months. And I, I just, she was, I can't even, almost can't really talk about it. But she was my best friend. And so, yeah. you know, I, and I have close friends. But there's no one like, you know, like your mother. Of course. So that, that loss has been uh, really hit me really hard. And so I've been trying to struggle this year. Uh, recovering emotionally from it, though it hasn't affected me writing-wise. I don't I think if I wasn't a writer and didn't have that to fall back on and be able to use those all that drama and that emotion to put into your stories, I, I think I'd go crazy. Right. So, but so that's that's so. The, so and I have nieces and nephews, and my gosh, they're all married and they've got kids, and then away it goes. And my sister's huge on genealogy and has been tracking our family back to Charlemagne and. Mm. Uh, it's funny. So we've got a lot of royalty. I'm related to Mary, Queen of Scots. Uh, so she just went to Scotland. Yes. And so, yes. Yay, Scotland. Scotland forever. Uh, so, she, 
So that's that's what. But um, my family's many things, but the Scottish side is what they're really excited about. But I we also we also found out I'm gonna. We're also Swedish, and so when you do those genealogies, kind of like a pie. And even though you and your might be related, you know, you're obviously you're related to all the same people, but maybe you have uh, the characteristics of one side of the family and favor that. So I'm I favor the the English and the Swedish side. So I've been bonding with my inner Viking. Awesome. I guess you answered one of my questions uh, uh, that I was going to ask about. Were you a nerd growing up? Oh God, yeah. I was a really big nerd. It was funny back then. I was a little bit of everything, so I wasn't just in one group uh, because I was a, I was an athlete and I had horses and I was a tomboy. But I was just a huge nerd. I remember so when Star Wars, original Star Wars, came out in 1978. Sure, 77. I saw that. I saw that. Was 77? 78. 77, but that's neither here nor there. Okay. I uh, I think I saw that uh, at least 20 times the that year it came out, all on dates. I never paid for it. I was always a boy, and this, the worst thing is I made a guy take me to the drive-in theaters to see Star Wars, and that's when you had those old-fashioned recorders. You put the tape in and put your little recorder out. Uh-huh. So I had the speaker at the drive-in theater inside the car with the recorder <laughs> on in the mic, and I didn't like that guy talk for two hours, and he tried to say, shut up, I'm recording Star Wars, because then I wanted to listen to it later, right? So yeah, which I just saw. All the original Star Wars dolls that came out after the movie band, I had all of them, mm-hmm. and uh, I just I just sold those and got into a, to a, like three comic cons. Of course, then I get in all three cons for free. Yes, because yeah, yeah. So I got the the large headed the Darth Vader with the red saber that extends and comes out, and so it's like oh my god, too much about Star Wars dolls. Right. Um, and there was a huge. I loved like I loved Luke Skywalker and Han Solo as a kid and had tons of posters and pictures and yeah there you go where you go yeah I remember the summer that came out me and my younger brother were in exile we were spending the summer in a little log cabin down in the Ozarks with a friend of our mom's while she was settling some affairs with our um, dad they had decided to move back in together after being divorced for five years and realized it wasn't working out and we're you know separating again and, and to keep us kids away from all the drama we were down at the Ozarks with a friend of hers and so we're little log cabin and there's a satellite dish and it only gets one channel and suddenly all those all this buzz on there about the new film that's sweeping the nation I'm like we haven't been to a movie in three months what are you talking what's going on what's happening but luckily when we got back to town it was the beginning of August my younger brother's birthday and our older brother who stayed here in town said you don't have a choice. You're going to go see this movie. So we went and saw it, and that was it. But getting back to Star Trek, <laughs> if I may. Which, you can love both Star Wars and Star Trek. And oh, yeah. It's okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm so tired of saying fighting over the fight. I, I like both worlds. I don't want to live in any one world all the time. I like to hop yeah. all around. Yeah, that's what I said. When when Discovery came out last year, and everybody's like, oh, it's, it's terrible. It's not. I'm like... I, I love Discovery and Old Trek alike. I love Star Trek and Star Wars, Star Trek and Babylon 5. Doctor Who beats all of it, but that's beside the point. Um, did you have any other interests uh, when you were a kid besides uh, being a nerd and stuff? You mentioned horses. Did you grow up with the horses? Well, I, my uh, my brother was eight. You know, my sister was four years older, so and they went off to college. My my great aunt gave me a Palomino, and for some reason, my parents decided to move out, uh, which out in Mays, which is such country. But at that time, I had 14 acres, and I had one horse, and then suddenly I had five horses, and got a pickup to Mays High School, and I had 50 people in one class. My junior year, yeah, did I have interest? I had seven boyfriends from seven different high schools with seven different classrooms. I was the most conceited bitch ever. I told to control. I thought I was this little ass, and... When you'd have a football game or basketball game, and I, you, the teams would play, and you had a boyfriend on both teams, I had whenever one would see me take the ring off, put the other ring on. I, I was horrible. So then, when my senior year rolled around, everyone had pretty much had since I, I graduated a semester early, mm-hmm. and it was funny. So I got done with high school on a Friday, and that Monday I was in college at OU, and then dating college boys, mm-hmm. and then eventually I got, you know, I got humbled and. Uh, 
not to reality that think I was such hot shit. And, you know, now the high school girl with all the college college girls and things were a little bit different. Yeah. So another that I was, I used to water ski and snow ski. So I, like I said, I was a really hardcore athlete and uh, I played softball. probably should have tried out for you a uh, softball team. A lot of my friends from when I was like, a lot younger, they were on my, Softball team. They ended up on the OU softball team, and I, I just, but I never thought about being in it because I was in the marching you know, pride of Oklahoma. So I played clarinet, saxophone, played the piano, and the organ. I had so many things. In my freshman year, I thought, Am I going to be a writer? Am I a musician? Or do I want to be an actress? OU at the time, uh, it, it was ridiculous because I, I tell you, I won't, and I did try out for plays. My I eventually I started from uh, stage fright. Who I'm auditioning for part that you know in me, you I'm not that character, and I could not uh, emotionally or mentally get a character because it's always me. Right. If I was going to be in a movie or as me, well, I can ham it up and do whatever I do. So it's me. But if you want me to pretend I'm someone else, that that's not going to happen. And so, the funny thing, I don't know if it's funny or not, but um, William Shatner was supposed to come my freshman year, and I'm a, a production, stage production, and be in a play called The Dark Horse. Wow. And uh, I really backed out of it, and we were devastated. But being so William Shatner, I'm so excited to think that he's going to be at OU and, and starring in the play, such kids. And I don't remember all through, but I just knew we were really sad. But, but I have the, the play, like one of my momentous from college hanging in the living hall of my house. So, yeah. And other than that, I don't know. My family travel. My, tra- my family travel. We travel around the world. I always like to stay on the seven seas because I kind of really uh, expose. Uh, my parents try to expose us to, oh, the entire you decide what you wanted to be in life. And you, from your religion to your politics to uh, just whatever you want. I had a, a very open, very non judgmental kind of uh, little background, but then at the same time, extremely structured. Disciplined um, of my, you know, there's three of us, three kids. We never felt the need to to lie or sneak out or drink or do drugs. And my family was really close, and we had fun together, and we were friends. And offered some education, talking, talking another. Right. Of course, you know, my family were huge John fans, and we used to go to movie time downtown in Wichita, and have always been a huge movie buff. We're still all huge movie buffs. Sure. So those have always been my main interests, and and dogs, of course. I'm I'm Dogs. Oh yeah. I would be happy on a dog oh, island. Ah, did you did you go see that movie Isle of Dogs in? No, I just I just noticed it the other day, and I would really like to see that. It looked delightful. Okay. Have you seen it? Have you seen it at all? No, I haven't. It's on the list of things I like to see okay. though. Okay. I have. Okay, it's on my list too. All I've gotten to this year was uh, Black Panther, The Avengers, and now Solo. I'm going to Solo tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, did you did you Solo? I liked it. I didn't. I didn't think it was great, but it was good, and it's better than, you know, some of the negative reviews that, I mean, I, I didn't see why people would be complaining about it. You know, it makes me laugh that, that people are so judgmental when these movies come out, because it's a little bit more of what we love, and whether it's as good as the last movie, or could have been better, enjoy it for what it is, because we're damn lucky to even have one. Yeah. So when it comes out, I'm happy to have it, because uh, it's just a little bit more, it's like, and you know, I, I uh, zombies, a huge big zombie person, and you need to get tired of the Walking Dead and Dead Night Zombie and D Nation. They're all different, and it's nice to, you know, the past few years that it's sort of such an abundance of like the genres that we love, so shows that fall. That's right. There's four different zombie shows, and there's been sci fi shows on, and my favorite is sci fi, my favorite genre of all times. And there's just so much of that you can watch from whether it's, you know, HBO to Netflix or. Hulu, whatever you want. So it's like we live in a fantastic TV and movie. Right. So I've been really happy in that regard. Yeah, I know what you mean. I never thought I'd see the day when every, you know, six months there's another superhero film going on or something. It's like, this is wonderful. A whole sci-fi channel. That's wonderful. Think about it. And I'm, I'm assuming you're, you're you're younger than I am. But, you know, when I grew up, Not you had much. a huge big Okay, and we had black and white TV with three channels to choose from, and they may or may not come at it. Um, and you, we just didn't have a big choice and selection of stuff. Yeah. Um, when but, it came to TV, and things have just changed so much. I don't know if people really appreciate how good they've got it and what we had, which wasn't a lot. Yeah. 
I'll tell you, growing up here in Kansas City. This ain't Kansas City. Back in the 70s, in the early 70s, we had on uh, one of the channels, the afternoon block was reruns of Batman, followed by Lost in Space, followed by Star Trek. And uh, my brother and I, were all, we would be at the babysitter's because um, mom worked and she dropped us off in the morning, picked us up in the evening after she got off work. And we'd always be like, please, mom, don't get here before the end of Star Trek. We want to see how this turns out. <laughs> but then in the weekends... That's what I do. Yeah, and on the weekends, they had um, they were showing the reruns of the Land of the Giants and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and... Oh, uh, what else was there? All the, all the great you remember, sci-fi. It's like on Sunday nights, it always seemed like it was, uh, it was Animal Kingdom and, yeah. and it was Steve Graves and me. And it was just like, you know, Sunday night was big, those two shows. Yeah. The grandmother was over, and it was like Lawrence Welk show. Make yeah. me watch that, please. And Disney. So, and Disney. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the lands of the lost. I forgot about there. There was good sci-fi. Oh yeah, yeah, that was. There was. I enjoyed that. That was a silly show. And when the six. I million, was a big Lost in Space fan. Yeah. By the way. And when the six million dollar rolled around, boy, I was set. Wonder Woman. That was and, wonderful. Yeah, on that in the seventies. Yep, Wonder Woman. And then Bionic Woman. The Planet of the Apes and Logan's Run and something called Star Wars. I'm not sure what that was about. but I, I'm not either. Something with robots in it. Anyway. They're trying to force me. That was fun. When did you start writing stuff? I'm sorry. When did you start writing stuff? So I started writing when I was eight years old. My brother Sterling was 16 and he was writing a novel, and he was my inspiration and my eye. And I thought, well, if he can write a novel, I can write a novel. And he um, had a paper and some pens and said, you need to write a novel. Go over there, sit down, and shut up. And so I wrote uh, 250 people by hand, The Lion of Arcadia, which was kind of like uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia, based on that, because I read all mm-hmm. young and so But I wrote a novel. When I was eight years old, I had read all the classics from Dickens to Austin. Then I hit Zane Gray. Wow. Uh, what else did my parents have on the shelf? They had, like, in the front of the shelf in, in our house, like I said, all, you know, all the, uh, like, Jane Ostwell, um had Moby Dick, read that. They, so you'd read those. But behind those books were the cheap dime store novels, the yeah. ones you're not supposed to read. And I read... Uh, Damn it, what is the the book is called The Pirate. It's not Henry Miller, it's not the author, Harold Robin. Hmm. And so and maybe at the age of ten one and, and Harold Robin is not a book, an author that any should be reading. However, I read college level yeah. when I was ten and that book uh was looking for a young girl. But my dad eventually found out I'd read novels too. Yeah. So since I was eight, I had one novel a year. I uh cabinet shelves in my house full at 49 I have not published uh-huh. back and rewritten yet but I probably will see if I can salvage some of them because some of them are good right I just take my time and rewrite you know the thing is now I'm, and I went through like some 80s and 90s trying to age and I've had four different agents in my life and mm-hmm. it's the top houses and uh, my main problem was I was extremely ambitious Entirely too impatient and did not appreciate editing and the proper. There's a you know a certain way to make to groom a novel right. to make it the best it can possibly. Just from having readers, to readers from line editors to grammar editors. I mean, right? It's a team. You need the team, and I didn't respect that and didn't go when I was young. Action letters, and so I know now people they write one freaking novel, and now because you can self-publish. Um, and I'm not, and right, and so I, I have a publisher, and I'm also an indie author, and I don't want to trash authors. But my, I can only express to young writers, there, there isn't any rush to the finish line. One at a time, learn your craft. Because if you think of the team, did Michelangelo was the little he did the yeah. best to do. Everyone needed to see it, and now I'm a professional. I don't think people respect the craft enough, and don't take the time that they should to work on their manuscript get the best can be. And sometimes. Maybe it's the 10th novel that you write, the one you should publish. Just because you wrote a book doesn't mean that's the one to freaking publish. The best book that you wrote. Yeah. 
that's my take on it. So those novels I have, they may or may not see the light. A lot of them are romances, and uh, I, I do not want to be a romance author. And my brain doesn't think like that anymore. I have relationships, but uh, yeah, I'd be a historical romance writer. There's so many of them. Um, right. Me being in the fantasy, I like fantasy, supernatural, horror. Yeah. That's those are my three main genres, and I'm comfortable yeah. there. Okay. Now, at this point in the interview, I would pause to take a word from a sponsor. Unfortunately, I don't actually have any sponsors. Until I do get sponsors, though, I'm going to insert old commercials that reference Star Trek in some manner. And hopefully when I get sponsors, then I will pause to actually read copy for somebody and try to sell something that's legit and current and everything. Just because sponsorship would mean I could upgrade my recording equipment and get me travel expenses so I can go to more conventions so I can meet more people and try to get more guests. Hi, I'm Chris, and this is Anna with MCI. She recently started a great friends and family calling circle. A group of friends that wanted to get back in touch. I believe I actually said we should resume communicating. So Anna called, and I signed up. And Chris called me. I thought if anybody belongs in friends and family, it's us. I used to get tired of staring at those faces. Now I kind of miss them. I joined to save the 20% because when I call him, I end up talking to an answering machine, which is more interesting than he is. I'm usually home. I'm just selective about the calls I take. When they were forming the circle, they obviously saved the best. Oh, that's why she called me next. Who is that? How do you get here? There seems to be some error. I believe you're in the wrong circle. Call and start saving an extra 20% on calls to your own friends and family circle. Every week, thousands of people join the millions who already have MCI friends and family. If you'd like to be one of them, give us a ring. After all, shouldn't your least expensive calls be to the people you care about and call all the time? And it's done. Okay, so, welcome back. I hope everyone enjoyed that um, bit of uh, fun. Okay, my next question for you, Ms. Lambden, if I may. You uh, may. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, yeah. Ask getting Klingon first. I just see that you, uh, aren't you proficient in Klingon? I'd like to hear some. No, no, I'm not, no. I have a few, I know a few phrases, but I have friends who are uh, uh, proficient, and hopefully I'll get at least one of them to be on the show eventually. But I just know stuff like hello, goodbye, yes, no, please, and thank you. Well, if you know, and this, and I don't mean to interrupt you just a little bit. I do. The next time you have me on your baby, you will have your uh, your person is Klingon. It'd be quite funny to be have the interviewer being Klingon and have it translated by someone else and then being yelled at as you're trying to answer the questions. Yeah. Just saying, I find that highly entertaining. Yeah. All right, ask your question. I'm ready. Okie dokes. Um, what was your first professional sale as a writer? My first professional sale was, uh, was at OU, and a couple hired me to write them a screenplay for $3,000. And I probably could have asked for more. And a friend of mine that was an advertisement introduced me to this couple and got me this job. But they seemed to think that meant because how, I don't know how many revisions could you uh, could they ask me to make? To ask a lot of revisions. And finally, I was sick of it because I'm tired of writing your stupid screenplay. It was about doctors, mm-hmm. and so I finally told them I'd had enough and I wasn't going to rewrite it anymore. And they said, "Well, since when did you have industry industry? Uh, I can't say it, industry standards. Mm-hmm. You're not with the Writers Guild." And I thought, you know what, that's the last time that I'm going to work for some, you know, jerk doctor to try to write someone else's screenplay. And then that's the way I'm going to be treated. But that was my first writing job. And, you know, $3,000, right, back in uh, 1982, that's that's not so bad. No. But after that, I was a little bit more guarded, right? So then I didn't want to just be uh, somebody TV show or, a, you know, some picture, a studio, but not uh, just some random jerk that wanted a story written. Right. Isn't that terrible? I'm grateful, and, and at the same time, I learned a lot. And I remember these people told me, too, uh, you can't be a horse unless you kill another horse. I thought, what? I wonder what the hell they mean by that. The and they said, you're, they said, your friend in advertising, he's not a horse. He's never going to kill another one. But you have that potential. And so it's – and I still – I know it's kind of interesting, and I think that maybe uh, less integrity or what you're willing to do or sacrifice to get what you really want – and so then that kind of leads me into the thing that happened to me out in Los Angeles at Paramount Pictures, what I was willing to do to be successful and what I wasn't willing to do. Yeah, go into that, please. Okay. So, so 
see all those women now that are coming forward about, you know, this producer, that director, that actor sexually assaulted them or busted a move or, there's, you know, they were sexually harassed because, you know, they wanted to get a part in the movie. Well, that was that was rampant when I was back uh, in Los Angeles at that time, even as a writer. Oh, yeah. And when I first moved out there, my first job, you know, I went I went out to L.A. first and got an apartment and then lined up in what did, not sorry that I got first lined up interviews got a job uh, working for a, a screen agent and then got an apartment moved in and I lasted at this place for one freaking week and the, the thing is I went out to LA to be a screenwriter I'm working for one of the top screen one of the top agents in Los Angeles and you know back in the 80s I had big hair and you had you know shoulder pads whatever you looked and I remember the assistant that was getting promoted she was extremely ugly in my mind you know inside and out and she said, just look at your shoes. You're going to have to do something about your shoes. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I just moved here from Kansas. Um, you know, what other person has sold all their horses, comes out to Venice Beach, gets an apartment, gets a job, drove out here, did it all on my own. I'm by right. myself. And they're going to comment about my my damn shoes. So there was a guy that wrote, uh, maybe I, well, be careful. There was somebody who won an Academy Award for screenplay. And he was probably 30 years older than me. And he was one of the clients for this um, screen agent. So he told me, if you'd be my mistress for six months and sleep with me, then I will write a screenplay with you and help you get it uh, sold and produced here in Hollywood. What do you think of that? And my response was no. And I quit my job. And the agent was like, well, I just want to take you out to my big mansion and, and a barber and interview, introduce you to all these people. You know, why, why are you quitting? And I, you know, my main thought was I couldn't handle having successful writers coming in every day, seeing a room full of their movie scripts at that place yet. So I felt like uh, being surrounded by what I wanted to be around. It was putting out my own light. And then to find uh, the more successful writers expected you, a young writer, to sleep with them. And, and, and it happened with a few more. And I thought, I don't even want to be around that, right? You're, you're running. Um, you know, I, I went out there to, to be a successful writer, and these other people that are trying to take advantage of a young girl, it was tainting me too soon, and I didn't like it. And I thought, I'm not going to uh, lower my standards. I'm not going to lose my integrity, and there's no guarantees when you're out there. So first off, don't ever sleep with anyone when they promise for you because it doesn't play out that way. So before I even landed the damn job at Paramount Picture. So then I, six months trying to get on law, finally landed a job at Paramount which is where I wanted to be, where was, and then now then been in one year of production. Right. Well, so how did the Star Trek, how did you get your, well, let's start with the script or the original idea. What was sure. the original pitch, the original idea? So, yeah, this is how I got So I wrote a script called The Death Agent, and if anyone has a Starlog Platinum Edition, the first one that came out, there's an article about me and even talks about The Death Merchant, which later is very similar that's all I'll say to uh, the defector when the Romulan comes in with the guns, the armaments. So that's very similar to the merchant, and there's a big long story behind that, but that's where we'll, we'll leave that. When I walked into Michael Piller's office one day and with script, and his secretary said, you know, who are you? Do you have an appointment? And I said, no, I do not have an appointment. And I walked, is he in there? She said, yes, he is. And I walked on in. And he was sitting behind his desk, and he looked up as I marched in, and I said, if you're looking for a Good script for Wesley Crusher, this is it. And I put it on his desk and I turned and walked out. And he called the next day and said, you've got some big balls uh, the way you came marching in here like that. Come back, I want to meet you. So I came back and uh, had a really long conversation with him and about writing and I wanted to get on staff for Star Trek. And so there were certain hoops I had to jump through to be considered. Uh, and then there'd been another female intern there. I don't know what she did. But she put a bad taste in those uh, those fellas' uh, mouths about having a woman be on the writing staff. So oh. I went in God, many different times and pitched for them. But, uh, but that happened after I met this young man named Brian Stewart. And he's the mailroom boy. And my boss, mm -hmm. I worked with Peter Kane, who was the chief of the Arsenio Hall show. And I had a lot of bosses at Paramount. I moved around a bit, but I, I stayed with Peter Kane the longest. And I had approval to write on Star Trek scripts until 1030 at night. So there was no one else at the movie lot, but I'd still be there working. 
So it was uh, one evening, this Ryan Stewart came by my desk, and he knew I was trying to get on staff for Star Trek, and you could tell he was extremely upset, and I asked him what was wrong, and he told me that his father had just, just died, and that he identified with Wesley Crusher, and um, there were things that he wished he could have told his father that never had the opportunity to do so. And so he asked, you know, let's, would you like to write a script with me? And I thought, well, yeah. Then, and I said, then let's, let's talk about your feelings. And then that's right. That's how Wesley Crusher would feel about Jack Crusher, the things that he never got to tell his father. And, right. and our script was called The Wish, the wish being Wesley Crusher wished that he could have met his father. So when Wesley turns 18, um, his mother lets him know that on the holodeck, there is a, a program waiting. And so it's an interactive conversation with Jack Crusher that was absolutely beautiful. And they talked about everything you could think a father and son would want to get to talk to each other about that never had had that opportunity before. And plus with the emotion behind it of Ryan Stewart of things he had not been able to tell his father that he wished he had. And I say it, the wish and it's, uh, then there was two other storylines going on in it, but it's absolutely, it was, it's beautiful. And so they search out, we took that in to, um, to run more and they, they did purchase this script and then it was turned into part of family. So the part with Wesley Crusher, when he meets his dad on the whole of that, that's mine. And that's Ryan Stewart's part. But unfortunately, uh, every, you know, every bit of dialogue you think about costs money. So they wanted to pay us a lot less. And, right. uh, and so unfortunately, so then they made it instead of this beautiful interactive uh, program with Jack Crusher. It was just a tape recording saying, hey, son, you're 18. I'm proud of you. So it, it kind of lost some of that uh, that beauty and that emotional intensity that it had before. But, you know, but I, I understand why they had to do it. But I, I really wish left some of that in because it was just so poignant. Um, and I'm sure a lot of uh, sons feel that way about their fathers who died too soon. And, you know, and then this kind of uh, story theme in Star Trek, too, if you think about it, with uh, James T. Kirk and his own father. Um, so this yeah. is, you yeah. know, and, you know, I, I wonder, do you, and do you know, is this something that uh, even Gene Roddenberry or even Michael Piller or any of the Harv Bennett, did any of these guys uh, suffer such a loss that they would have this reoccurring theme pop up of the loss of a, of a parent? I don't know. I just know that, yeah, on the next generation, everyone was an orphan. And it's it's uh, phenomenal. And when they had the episode, The Bonding, and everybody steps up and says, I lost my father, too. Well, I lost my father, too. It's like, what was going on? But I really don't know about the personal lives of the uh, the creators. That's why I have the show to try to find out. Yeah, so now there's something to, to put on the list because I'm interested in that, right? Because that was a very important theme. Um, yeah. And it played out so frequently. But then that's kind of the beauty of Star Trek that it is dealing with real issues in a sci-fi genre, right? So it's that's, it's just so Star Trek and any of the – any of the series has just been so relatable. Even though you're dealing with alien worlds and alien cultures, uh, you're going through the same things. It's still the personal, personal, intimate stories, whether you're human or you're not human. Um, that's yeah. something that, that Star Trek's really capitalized on and has made a long-lasting, endearing series with different forms. Right. Well, have you watched all the series, then? I have not seen Discovery. Uh. I um. I, I I don't have my TV. It's, it's stupid. I don't have my TV hooked up to the internet to watch Netflix or to watch. Uh, it's on Netflix on another channel on it. I, I don't no. have set up my TV, and I don't want to watch it on my computer screen. Yeah. So I guess I'm gonna wait till it comes out and I can buy it. And it's been really frustrating for me because I I think they they released like the first two shows for free, so you could watch it on the TV, and it looked yeah. awesome. And I am. I here I'm madly in love with Jason Isaacs. I always kind of fall in love with the the captains, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of people do. So I was been really upset I haven't been able to see Jason Isaacs, and I follow him on Twitter. He's he's something else, and I would really like to be able to at least meet him one day and shake his hand. But I did see yeah. the Klingons with the new show, and they were uh, really interesting and different. But I guess yeah. it's a it's a parallel dimension or different and alternate. Reality, is that correct? No, it's supposed to be the Prime Universe. And at the end of the last episode with them meeting uh, the Enterprise, and they're supposed to have Captain, they've already recast Captain Pike for the new series next season. I did see that. You know, I got to admit on the Star Trek, the original show, um, I really liked I, I like spoilers. 
spoilers, spoilers. But just, Go ahead. But I just say I really liked uh, the cage. So the, uh, the the original pilot for Star Trek, the original series, before they redid it, and uh, I forgot what the, when they redid it, what it was called. Isn't the cage the real one? Was Pike, and he yeah. goes down to the planet, meets the girl. I really, really liked that. And yeah, I would, I would, I went to mind that crew because I always liked Christopher Pike. Yeah. But for some reason, right, they, they shelved that and then tucked that into another episode later. Yeah, they, they recut it into the menagerie. Oh. Well, we discovery because then I want to see uh, our, our hat. And that, what's, what's our little game? And she's. It's a Klingon attack on my ship as I'm going to space. So, no, I just said I wanted to watch the discovery and, and find out more about that series. So, as soon as it's available, I'm going to buy it. So, yeah. like, I, I could watch it on my computer screen. It's pretty damn big. But then you think about it, I'm, I'm sitting in front of a computer almost. Day writing, and I hate to then watch shows. Well, I figured I, I learned the best way to uh, go for it is to if you have Amazon Prime, if you pay ten bucks to Amazon Prime, then you can watch it on your through your Amazon. Yeah, but then I think otherwise, it gets, then the TV. Yeah. yeah, I have an older TV. Yeah, it's like they keep improving technology, right? And they have to run out and get some other new. Like, oh my God! But everyone yeah. seems to have it. So I know I'm missing out not seeing Discovery because, like I said, it looked phenomenal. It's actually yeah. great. Well, okay. So um, you wrote uh, the the pitch for um, the Wish and for uh, the Death Merchant. Um, and when they started up DS9 and Voyager and all that. Did you submit any more scripts for any of those series? I hate to say it, so I did three scripts for Base Nine and was most likely going to get hired on staff finally, and uh, my brother died. <laughs> and so I, I know, and I literally walked out the door, and they're saying, you're telling us no, I'm telling you no, and I'm telling you I'm going home now. I got, My family needs me. So that really bummed me out because I love Deep Space Nine. And I am a huge Cardassian fan. That is my species. And Gold Ducat and Glenda Mark, I'm on their team, just so you know. It's terrible. Uh, and, but I just really liked Deep Space Nine of all of the shows. It just, it just was really deep. It had so much going on with the majority of the occupation and, uh, and then bringing the Federation in there. And so I really missed out. And the, it's also funny. So I was there the, I think the first year that that gone and, one day, all my friends vanished at lunchtime, and they came in, and they all got damn parts on the on the show at Cork's Bar. And it's like, he said it was open cattle calls. Why wouldn't you tell me? Well, we thought you knew you knew, knew everything. So, like, well, hell, I didn't. I would have liked to have been, uh, you know, like mourn a kind or know, at Cork's Bar. Damn, I saw, I saw, yeah. But all my friends, so then they go in and get makeup, and you know, you think about that working at Paramount, and then the call. So all the employees ran over there to, you know. The, the studio, um, the stage to audition, and everybody that went got a freaking part. It didn't get any easier than that. So I, I, Man. I was deprived getting to drink Pinar or bullshit. Oh, yeah. The, of all the start, that's the thing that pisses me off the most. One day, I uh, was walking by the stage, and there was a, a Kardashian standing out there, and I was looking at it. It was hot. And I hadn't, you know, wasn't really familiar with the Kardashians. And I didn't go over there and go talk to Mark Alamo. And there's another regret in my life. Damn it. All I had to do was walk up and say, hey, the hell off the spoon in the middle of the forehead. Tell me about it. So, you know, yeah. Wonderful opportunity that got away. But I can say it was talking about it. Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. You, get, you see people walking around in these beautiful uniforms and, uh, I got to on the next generation set. I was a little so uh, Peter Kane had a, a friend who had some kids that thought one day like Suzanne, you know, he's Star Trek. They know who you are. Would you take her, you know my friend over there and her kids and show them around? Uh, well, you're, you're not just walk on the Star Trek set. You'd have to have permission. So anyway, I walked in the side door that I knew that it was unlocked about eight o'clock at night, and no one. Remember three little kids. They come on to the the drama. So another cat and everyone's really excited. Then we hear someone coming. So it's a quick everybody on the turbo lift. So we get on the turbo lift, manually shut the door, and then you're waiting. Someone came into the bridge and then they left. And so we're waiting and we open the door and we come back out onto the bridge and 
so clever because the kids are so excited and they're squealing. And so the security guard, would, and now we're busted. Now we're caught. So I think, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my job at Paramount. I'm going to be in huge trouble. But instead, the security goes, oh, Sam Landon, I know who you are. You, you, know, you, you know, I've seen you on the set before talking to Patrick Stewart. Would you like to see engineering? So the kids are squealing. Well, yeah, I'd love to see engineering. And he goes, would you like a Klingon attack? Yeah. So he had all the lights and all the machines going, all the sound effects. And we assumed our positions and we got putting on battle. And it was a fantastic evening. And I, I wish I knew who this boy was and who her children are because I wish children, you know, 25 years later would say, oh my God, that was the best life when the Klingons attacked. Right. So that was, a, that was a really good memory. I tell you, that set was cool. Well, you met all. I met them all. You must have met all the cast then, didn't you? You know what's funny? I met everybody but Will Wheaton. I, I, I have funny name, of all of them, that's the one fella I would like to meet the most. I love Wesley Crusher, and I, I mean, I fought for four years on the Save the Wesley Crusher, and I wrote a lot of scripts and ideas, and they weren't buying going down the drain, but I met everyone else. Uh, Patrick Stewart wanted me to write him a... See, they, they knew Patrick Stewart wanted me to write him a romance, and uh, I was blessed of his uh, friendship with another lady and instead wrote him a script. I was trying to get on staff with this Harvest of Deception. And Jerry Taylor is the producer at that time. So she's trying to get me to but, oh, I had to write the script that Captain Picard has to wear a wig. And, boy, that thing came sailing across the bridge, hit me in my forehead, and he came up. Good luck with your goodbye. And I ran off <laughs> crying. And uh, then I remember Jerry Taylor kept on the lunch day for me because we were supposed to talk about the script on staff. So finally, I'm, I'm going to England. So I had to call up her office and make lunch for Jerry today. I'm sorry. We're canceling lunch with her. Yeah, I'm canceling lunch with her. I'm catching a plane. We can go on over to England. I'll call her when I get back. So when I was over in you know, England for a month and I got back, I thought, you know what? I, I can't. I can't play these stupid games. You either want me on staff or you don't want me on staff. But after four years and picking how many I did and how many more of the writers can I date? Uh, I, I, yeah, that's so many stories. You have no idea. It, it became exhausting and I thought all I want to do is write stories and be read. I don't want to power lunch with the director. I don't want to, have to play the reindeer games. I just want to write good stories and be read and bring a little joy to people's hearts. And that's not with all this Hollywood drama. I felt bad. It was a different and then the young man wants to be a film director, and he came up and goes, how, how is that Hollywood life? I'm like, you know what? It's cruel. It's hard. It's not this glamorous world. You have to kill a horse, right? you got to really sacrifice and kick your... It's it just dog-eat-dog. Dog. It's really tough, and some people get a great break. Other people have support and get a little bit of the pie. Never do it. Right, some people sleep the wrong people their lives forever, and it's you're going to get to Hollywood. You've got to know when to stay on target, uh, making sacrifices, and stay true to yourself, and you can make anything possible. But don't give in, and, and don't listen to people when they reject you or tell you that you're good, not good enough, or if you get something out of it. Don't, don't do it. It's just uh, determination, perseverance. And if you don't succeed, you try to try again. There's my right. there's my whole nutshell. I was restaurant. Well, okay. So after you left Star Trek, then you started writing your own novels. Uh, well, well, you you were always writing, but you started getting yourself published, right? Yes. So when uh, twelve rolled, I got I put first published in twenty twelve. So you think about how long I've been writing. Um, yeah. But I finally uh, did you uh quit. Did you write any more scripts or screenplays or anything for anybody um, or anything else? This is funny. So, um, yeah, I did. I wrote a few more screenplays and had a animated film up with Disney that fell through and I was asked to write the last 10 pages on Dean Arcoot's uh, script, uh, Phantasm. So it was, it was not that this was just so weird. It happened. Ron Moore was supposed to meet with the producer that day at the restaurant, Paramount, and he wasn't there. He didn't make the lunch. I was there. Somehow, this producer knew who it was and came up, and I had lunch with him, and he goes, you know, we considering hiring you to write. This would have been my first big project. We 
write the last two pages of the script, you got one week to do it. Well, I took the script home and I read it. And to be honest, the last 20 pages sucked. So I have 20 pages instead of 10 pages, which you must realize I've already stabbed, already ruined it. 10 pages, not 20. So when I met with the producer, right. he's pissed because he didn't ask for 20 pages. And he didn't want to hear my bullshit because each minute, each page of a script is one minute. So instead of changing the last 10 minutes in the change the last 20 minutes of the movie because it was, I thought it was horrible, but who am I to have an opinion? So needless to say, I did not get the job and then Phantasm went into a movie until like maybe 10 years later. They'd hired before to rewrite Dean Ar- just read Dean Arcoon's books the way they reviewed them. But they, and I just, uh, what movie had done at that time? I don't know if it was an alien movie. I'd done something with the script that I thought was just, uh, wasn't true to the book. So then I, it was funny, but uh, had that gone through, I would have probably been in L.A. right now writing screenplays. Um, but I just didn't play my cards right. I had a, I just had a really high opinion of myself back then, and I wasn't willing to be flexible or bend in any way. Um, it was a bit of a dick. And, but to be like that there, you would be consumed and thrown away. But that would have, yeah, that was really cool. Um and then other than that, I got a Hollywood agent. I got an agent right after I filled my Star Trek script. I can't remember what her name was, but the dumb shit took my Star Trek script and took the freaking Star Trek. And so I got a letter from Star Trek to say, sorry, we've already bought the script once. We wouldn't be interested in buying it again. And so I made like a real, and so I called up and said, you know what? You are an idiot. You're fired. And the last time I had was I realized, you know, to be uh, be a screenwriter in Hollywood, I knew quite a few um, kind of weird, quirky sh- back in the, uh, I guess, really the early 90s. Oh, Twin Peaks. I had a Peaks. friend that was writing for that sh- um, I had friends writing for Friday the 13th. So I had opportunities to write for other TV shows that I couldn't, you know, and I had the inside folks. Like I had the inside ears. But my problem, too, back then, I... I I only wanted Star Trek. I I just wanted Star Trek Next Generation. I wanted to be on staff, and if I couldn't have that, then I wanted Deep Space Nine, which when I finally came around, I could have had it. Then my family needed me, so timing was always off. Uh, but I'll, I'll admit, um, I really like during the weekdays and writing on my books, and now I write. Since 2012, when I first published, I got I've written 15 novels. So in the last five years, it's five novels a year. And that's how many novels I write. And then on top of that, then I'm 15. And then on my weekends, then I'm going to comic around the U.S. And it was tough. I will say it. This different con, there was like 50 authors. And they brought in some draft signing and some, uh, damn it, I can't think of his name, short sort of Shannara. He was there this weekend and had a huge line getting his autograph and, um, then, so I was sitting across where all your really authors are, and then Delray Books is there giving away free books, and then I'm kind of uh, sandwiched between some texts I really liked, Colorado authors that apparently there's a Colorado coalition, which I wish they would have come over and, and kind of welcomed your out-of-state authors a little bit for Comic-Con, because there was such um, so much competition, which really is necessary with other writers. You want the public to come up and buy your books. There's a room on a bookshelf for 20, 30, 50 different authors, right? So I don't like competitive because I know in my own house, I probably have novels written by 800 different authors. So to me, I'm always read a book by somebody new or somebody old and cherished, right? So I just don't like that attitude. So it was, it was a little bit this weekend. Um, and I still sold a lot of books, but I had these, these damn comic cons you should uh, expectations. And the last time I it was, it was Walker Stalker, and I sold two years ago. I sold 120 books. So rude, right? So now every time I go, I think I had to sell 120 books. I don't sell 120. Well, I just I fell. Even though most uh, sell probably 20 books at a con. If they're lucky, they sell 30. So if I'm usually 60, I'm still not happy. But I would like to. Be, you know, I'm never going to be Stephen King, and I'm never going to be Anne Rice or J.K. Rowling, and I don't want to be. But I 
going to be uh, a reader that loves it and that people can find a little joy a few hours a day picking up one of my books and can escape and relax. And that's really why I write. I want just a few hours a day to give someone an opportunity to go on an adventure. So, you know, and that's what Star Trek gave me as a child, right? I wanted to boldly. And so that's what I try to do now as a writer in my own book. Um, much happier writing fiction and uh, reading plays. And, and I do think you use a different part of your brain when you're writing a book compared to writing a play. It is the same thing at all. How anybody even writes a stage play or a music? Well, they just got to be like, they probably were in the show. to be highly intelligent because plus or that's even more uh, esoteric and even more requires more brain cells than a screenplay or novels. It's really fascinating. When I was younger, I worked to be a writer and I, I never sold anything, but I could write short stories and I tried writing a novel. I wrote essentially comic books in prose form. And um, I thought, well, maybe I should write a screenplay or, you know, just a stage play. My brain just could not do it. I just could not think in, you know, those terms. You know, it's funny. Now I get, I get approached now, Steve, by, mm-hmm. and now I get approached by young writers and, you know, they ask if I read their first manuscript. And so I can, or even first novel, they, and I can always spot somebody that has screenplay training or professional writing or fiction writing. They're, um, and the way you spot the uh, screenwriter when you're reading a novel is really all over the place with their different character, maybe more than one character's POV in a chapter, uh, because it's like a movie. And, and you can get away with that in a movie, but the rules of writing a book are completely different. The structure is so much different. So then I always like to give advice, like, well, you're, you're a screenwriter, aren't you? You write screenplays, and this is your first novel. Like, yeah, how did you know that? Yeah, I, I know. I can, I can pinpoint that. And it's like, and you've got... I'm, I have a friend out of Scotland, his, uh, and I'm actually writing a novel with him. And uh, Nick Franklin's his name, and he writes zombie books. And I read, gave him a review for her, his first book. You're right. You're, you're either a movie director, or you write screenplays. And he he makes all these little short zombie films out of Scotland. And so now we're writing a new book together called Zombie. We'll be out pretty. So, but that was kind of cool and a very random thing. And he. Mick found me out of, you know, think about all the authors in the world, and he contacted out of the blue to say, hey, would you be the author that reviews my new novel? And I did, and so then I told him, you know, your book's so damn good, but it would be as a screenplay with all the action that's going on. So I hope he eventually turns his first novel into a movie, because it's, it would be gritty and scary. Yeah, I would just, to follow on that idea of writing a book, uh, prose versus script. I've gotten roped into writing um, script for Star Trek fan films, and it's prose. It's prose. It's not. I mean, because that's that's the way my brain works. You know what? You need to get yourself a writing buff. Give them it is and have them do the technical part. Yeah, I should. I I don't know who I'd contact though. And don't say you, because according to rules and regulations of fan films, you couldn't do it, I'm afraid. Oh, is that because I already have a screen credit professional, so I can't do fan films? Yeah. Like, well, that's just rude. Anybody that's ever actually worked on actual Star Trek is disallowed from working on fan films. Wow. That's Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's sad, because I really, really love it. And you know what? That's what yeah. the fans were. And you know Star Trek always belong to the fans as well. And... I am more than happy to watch all the fan films and everybody else. And, you know, I feel like I did my part and I contributed something and I'm extremely proud of it. And maybe one day I'll get to meet Will Wheaton and he'll be nice to me and shake my hand and say, hey, man, thanks for a good script and letting me meet my dad on the holodeck. That would be cool. Though I realized it was, a boom, it was Boomer on Battlestar Galactic and I was trying to tell him about the show. Well, I don't play that show and I don't remember these episodes as well as you. And I thought, oh, my God, i got to remember that when you meet these actors on these shows, hey, they're actors. They're playing a part. They're not really that character. And they don't really have the fond memories that you do. So just be careful when approaching them because sometimes they snarl. Yep, yep, yep. So um, what are you working on now these days? So um, my dinner, there are 11 
in this series are six books now published. I'm getting ready to publish the seventh, and then the rest of them. So then all 11 are out. So I've got books with different editors, have them come out. And then I have a sci-fi trilogy, uh, post-apocalyptic, uh, that's going to be coming. In. And I don't know, sci-fi, but uh, it kind of is in the vein of Logan Run. I am, and I've got, then I've got a couple of novels that I'm brushing off. And yeah, one's going to be a romance, but it's dedicated to Peter Cushing. So I don't know how it will go because I don't know. People really think Peter Cushing, the late great Peter Cushing, was sexy. I happen to think so. I like all sizes and shapes have been. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I mean, it'll, it'll be a horror romance. It's not going to be like, you know, bodice ripping. It's going to have zombies and scary shit going on. It's, it's something I'm trying to salvage. And uh, it's not, I've just got, uh, I might do a prequel to, to Dead Hearts, but I've, like I said, I've got five books in rotation right now trying to get them published. And then I have, uh, I'm, not, I'm also working on those, the three sci-fis. So i got a lot mm-hmm. of stuff going on. And it's just like there's never enough time in the day. And I, as a writer, you know, I, I don't want to get pigeonholed in my publisher. Chris Kennedy out of Virginia, he was saying, you know, that writers, you know, you're kind of supposed to stay in a certain genre, and that's what you get known for, and I, I don't like that. I At my age, you know, maybe I got 20 years left to go, right, 20 to 30, right? I'm, I'm middle age, so I'm not going to get pigeonholed in one damn genre. I'm going to write whatever the hell I want to write, and challenge that way, and to be challenged, I have to write different genres, so, you know, I enjoyed uh, writing the series, but it's kind of more supernatural fantasy horror. And then I just, you know, did the uh, Realm of Magic, was, which was dark fantasy. So now I want to, because I really love So I'm anxious to get back to that and then uh, we'll go from there. I do have a Deep Space Nine huge 1,200-page fan fiction on Star Trek fan fiction for the love of Gold Dukat. And, but I noticed that Hell still had some damn typos and it pissed me off. But that story, if anyone... Uh, can go through a 1,200 page. It's the uh, the rebellion of the Fifth Order um, against the yeah. um, Golducoff during still during the occupation. So it's kind of like a mirror mirror uh, universe. So but it's really fun. So and that and I had damn 1,200 pages last year in one month when I wanted to take a break a break from writing. So instead I you know with my spare time I write this. 1200 page fan fiction it's just like i just can't not write there's always some story that's there ready to pop out of my head and i just uh, i just sit down in front of my computer and let my imagination go and i don't outline anymore and a lot of my inspiration comes from you know you might watch a tv show or a movie or even something happens in the course of the day a conversation that you might hear and and then i just sit down and relax and see where it goes and then once you meet a character then i uh, just let them tell the story they've got to tell but a lot of that you know because i can write five books a year i think a lot of that came out of that uh, eight years at paramount pictures trying to write for star trek and you know you would go in when i'd go in and pitch a uh, the tv ideas to uh, ron moore and staff and you know what ron moore now does uh outlander so he's he's really done well with his career but you'd have to tell Five story, five story ideas in one to two sentences. So, you know, you take a deep breath, you'd go in and you'd pitch your ideas. So after you said the one sentence and then the authors, I mean, the writers would start asking you questions and you better be able to talk and move fast on your feet and improvise and run with the story. And you might have to do that with all five stories. So you'd be in there for an hour or two hours or they might just say, nope, I don't like it. What's next? And, and because of that. Uh, that mental discipline and being able to jump about with different stories, with different characters, uh, you know, within a certain amount of time and not to lose the interest of other people. I think that's helped me in later years then come up with good, solid ideas for my novels. So the the two different crafts, oh, right. you can't call, you know, screenwriting and, and writing fiction can complement one another. There's good things from both and habits from both that can help you succeed in whichever avenue you choose. And hell, you can do both. I just find it, I, I, I like a quieter life. All right. But in the meantime, you are on the road, appearing as a guest at different conventions all around the areas. I am. This weekend, I'll be at Smallville and Hutchinson. I'm, I'm a special guest this weekend. And I think Dean Kane will be there, Superman. So that, that'll that be good. Yeah, I can't get a ride. I'm going to make well, it that'll be fun. in town. Yeah. 
Okay, so now it is time for Stevie's tough but not too terribly tough Star Trek trivia challenge. Oh my God! All right, there'll be five questions. Uh, if you get three of these questions right, you will win a chance to impress your friends and embarrass your children. If you get all five right, there will be a sixth double or nothing question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Question number one. Before being cast as Dr. Beverly Crusher on The Next Generation, Gates McFadden was a well-known Hollywood choreographer who worked frequently with Jim Henson and the Muppets. Among her credits as a choreographer was the 1986 fantasy musical Labyrinth. Which pop culture musical icon, also known as the Star Man, was the star of Labyrinth? It's David Bowie. Correct. (laughs) Question number two. You almost freaked me out. So I had to listen to the icon because first the Starman was also was a movie with Jeff Bridges. So I had to listen to your question. I almost gave you the wrong okay. answer. Question. Okay, continue. <laughs> question number two. Bernie Casey appeared in the two part Deep Space Nine episode, The Maquis, as Lieutenant Commander Cal Hudson. Earlier in his career, he'd co-starred in the 1976 sci-fi film The Man Who Fell to Earth. What pop culture musical icon, also known as Starman, was a star of Man Who Fell to Earth? Are you doing David Bowie again? That's correct. <laughs> That's two for through. Question number three. The Ethiopian model Iman appeared in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, as the Kamiloid Martia. What pop culture musical icon, known as Starman, was uh, Iman married to? That would be Mr. David Bowie. Awesome. Amazing. <laughs> Question four. Iggy Pop appeared in the DS9 episode of The Magnificent Ferengi as the Vorta Yelgren. Before embarking on an acting career, Iggy was a well-known musician who collaborated on 11 different albums with what pop culture musical icon known as the Starman. Oh, my God, David Bowie. That's absolutely amazing. I just can't believe I I knew all this, Steve. This is. Question five. The Academy and Emmy Award-winning singer, songwriter, musician, and actor Paul Williams appeared in the Voyager episode Virtuoso as the Komar Koru. Among his many compositions was a song called Fill Your Heart, which pop culture musical icon, also known as Starman, recorded a version of Fill Your Heart for his 1971 album Hunky Dory. If it's not David Bowie, I'll eat my hat. David Bowie's absolutely right. That's five for five, ladies and gentlemen. She's run the table. (laughs) Now for question six, Double or Nothing Stakes. Which pop culture musical icon, also known as Starman, never actually appeared in Star Trek, but probably should have? Oh, David Bowie! Oh, no, I'm sorry. The answer we were looking for was Paul Stanley, the Starman of Kiss. No, wait, wait. I've got the judges in my ear. Okay, yes, we will accept David Bowie. You win! Oh, my God. You know what? Why wasn't he on? He should have been. He would have been wonderful. He would have been wonderful. And, you know, they have... Anyway, go ahead. All right. No, go ahead. No, well, you know, everything about all the different, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they had a musical. Can you imagine if they'd had a Star Trek episode that was a musical? But starring David Bowie. Apparently, you didn't see the film. um, uh, Which film was that? Um, Insurrection. uh, uh, You know, I did see it, but maybe (laughs) I blocked that from my mind. I'm going to have to watch it again. I don't. You remember the part near the beginning when um, Data has gone crazy and. They decide that they'll get him back in shape by singing Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> do you, do you, Actually, it occurs to me. Do you, uh, Steve, do you remember uh, Data is in the movie Out to Sea as the uh, the musical director on the cruise ship, which uh, is one of my favorite roles for Brent Spinner. It's absolutely hysterical. But he's singing him up on I've stage. Heard that. I have Please watch it sometime. Yeah. You'll be highly entertained. Okay. Yeah, the only Trek actor I've seen perform live was Nana Visitor from DS9. I saw her at Starlight Theater back in the early 90s in a production of... Oh, I saw Patrick Patrick Stewart on stage in the one-man show of A Christmas Carol for five years running when he first started doing it at UCLA. Then I saw him on stage with Gates McFadden and a third person. I don't know who, um, but it was a three-person comedy sketch for a couple of hours that went on the universities. And Gates McFadden. Yeah, 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 yeah. I gave him a dozen roses too. See, they liked him. I had a chance to see him in the uh, the Tempest in New York in '95, but I didn't quite make it to Center Park that night. And I've been kicking myself for 23 years ever since. Yeah, I bet that would have been magnificent. Anyway. 
Anyway. It's time to wind this down. Um, so, Suzanne Landon, our guest tonight, please, um, if listeners want to stay in touch or follow you, you have a Twitter account, you're on Facebook, you have a website, et cetera, et cetera. I do. You just have to type in the name Suzanne Lambda and you will find me. Yeah, Facebook. I have uh, the Dead Hearts page and the Suzanne Lambden page. I have three websites. I have SuzanneLambden.com, DeadHeartsNovel.com, or use your hyphens, TheRealmOfMagic.com. And I'm on Twitter under Suzanne Lambden, Instagram. I pretty much use my name under everything, right, to make it really easy. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, folks, if you need advice, if you need someone to pat you on the back or a light a little fire under your butt to get you going on a project, please feel free to contact me. I could not be more open and more happy to help young writers, people stuck in the mud or stick up their ass. Please just give me a shout and I will help you network and help you avoid all the pitfalls and bumps along the road that are unnecessary for budding new artists. So, up there. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want to thank you so much. This is, again, the Omega Directive. My name is Steve Atwell. Hopefully, well, this is, program is being hosted on the Trexphere Network. You can also find it at iTunes. If you listen to this, if you enjoy it, please leave a positive review. And, uh, again, I have much thanks to Mrs. Ann Lambden. And uh, you can find her a, a Comic-Con or horror convention or a similar, none such, at a, in a town near you sometime coming up. Hey, if you don't mind me, one quick endorsement. Folks can find all of my novels on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And if you do happen to read my novel, just leave me a book review. Amazon Book Bob, Goodreads, wherever you can leave a book review, spread the word. And then maybe one of my series, we may have a teacher. Okay, I'll uh, uh, people will hear that. People will know that. Okay, I guess we're done here. Uh, you can go back to your happy life. <laughs> um, Thank you, Steve. Sure I'm not sure when I'll see you again in person, but I'm sure at one of the conventions eventually we'll run into each other again. Klingons don't say goodbye. They they get, tell each other success, which is kapla, or they just kapla. just walk away and don't All say right. anything. Okay. We'll talk to you later. Oh, I'll send you links. To the the fan productions that I've done, if you're curious to watch. Okay. Well, I, know, I appreciate giving me the talk tonight. I had fun. So, thank okay, you very much. All right, All Dave. Right. We'll talk to you later.